Good morning, church. We continue today's uh, worship of the Lord by the reading of his word. Today's scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. As the Lord is honored, we stand for the reading of his word. Amen. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent, he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. For he was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Continue our worship with the proclamation of the gospel. This morning's message is going to be a bit different than we're used to here at NBC. Instead of an exposition of the text, Pastor Chris has asked me to give my testimony to the church. The story of how I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I decided to use this parable in Luke 15 alongside my testimony because for years it has reminded me that I was on two paths leading to hell before I was saved. A path of religion and a path of rebellion. For many years I lived as the younger brother, we see here in Luke 15, living recklessly and selfishly, taking from the world of its temporary pleasures. But in the end, I was left with shame and despair and exhaustion, hanging on to that that last bit of hope that God left in me to bring me to himself years later. But the testimony God decreed for me before the foundation of the world For his glory also had the older brother aspect to it. 
Years after, by God's common grace, I was no longer estranged from the Father, taken from the world all its destructive pleasures, but instead, like the other elder brother, I was near to the Father, working for the Father, but inside, there was no reconciled relationship to God. I wasn't serving God on His terms. I wasn't loving God with, with a humble heart. Instead, I was working for my salvation. Like the elder brother, I was self-righteous, bitter, and extremely critical towards others. I realized, church, that when we see this passage, we tend to focus on the lost, rebellious younger brother, right? We call it the parable of the prodigal son. But I am convinced that this parable is more about the father, about God's sovereign, free, extravagant, almost reckless love for both of the brothers. It is meant to be a contrast, actually, between the Gentiles and the Pharisees. Timothy Keller does a great job summarizing this concept in his book called The Prodigal God. Keller states this, Two brothers represent the two basic ways people try to make life work. The younger son pursues self-discovery. He's on a quest to find and fulfill himself, even if a few people have to get hurt along the way. The older brother is committed to a more socially respectable way of being in the world, the way of moral conformity. Church, my prayer and my hope is that my, t- is that my testimony will be a witness to the biblical revelation that there is more than one way to be lost, to be estranged from God. Yet, by God's sovereign love, there is a way, a beautiful way, a glorious way to be reconciled to God. And that is this theme of the message today. There is more than one way to be lost, to be estranged from God. Yet by God's sovereign love, there is a way to be reconciled to God. Friends, God saved me in the fall of 2011. That's when I was born again through the power of the gospel. Given a new spiritual life in Christ, brought about by the Holy Spirit of God. That was when I was converted to Christ by trusting in Him and Him alone for my salvation. That was the glorious day brought about by the sovereign love of God when my Heavenly Father embraced me like the younger brother we see in this passage. Church, God declared me righteous in His sight because of what His Son, Jesus Christ, did for me on the cross. That was when He adopted me into His family of God, put a ring on my finger, sealed me with the Holy Spirit, and placed on me a robe of righteousness. And make no mistake about it, church, as verse 24 said about the younger brother, I was dead. I was lost. But by God's sovereign love, I was found. I said earlier, God saved me, because that is how the Bible describes salvation. I didn't save myself. I didn't, as some people say, find the Lord. Church, salvation is a work of God, a work that God does. The Bible says in John John 6, 44, no one can come to me, meaning Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Church, God draws us to Himself. He draws His elect. He draws His people. The triune God of Scripture places His sovereign love on His elect before the foundation of the world. Jesus goes to the cross to provide redemption for us. Then in God's beautiful timing, the Spirit of God gives us new life by grace through the instrument of faith. 
I love how the late theologian Lorraine Botner, in his book, The Reformed Faith, describes this sovereignty of God and salvation. Botner writes this, God sovereignly picks a man up out of the kingdom of Satan and places him in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And that is exactly what he did to me. Friends, I didn't seek God. God sought after me. I'll tell you guys, I was no looking for Jesus than a thief is looking for cops. So again, God saved me from my sins and brought me to himself through Christ around seven and a half years ago. I want to share with you how God brought me to where I am today, which I believe will explain why I chose this parable to place alongside my testimony. I wasn't born into a Christian family. I didn't grow up in the church like my wife did or the teens that I teach here in Sunday school. I didn't have parents who loved the Lord and were concerned with things of God. What I did have, though, was parents who were cultural Catholics. A cultural Catholic is someone who calls themselves a Catholic but doesn't go to church or follow the traditions. So my parents and most of my family, they were, they were like that. They were cultural Catholics. I'm Italian. Of course I'm Catholic. That type of thinking. Eventually, my parents got divorced due to my father's lifestyle of alcoholism and womanizing, and I grew up with my mom in a small town upstate New York. It didn't take long into my teens that I recognized this emptiness in my soul, this void in my heart that caused me to rebel and go into deep depression. A late Christian philosopher named Blaise Pascal describes this emptiness that we all have this way. Without Christ, we all have that. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Church, Pascal got it right. The Bible speaks about the human heart this way. The writer of an Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes describes it this way. I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. We have a God-shaped emptiness in our soul. It is placed there for God and God alone. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy our souls. He is the only one who makes that, that emptiness go away. Because we are made for Him and Him alone. Unfortunately, because of our sin, what do we do? We exchange the truth about God for idols. This is idolatry. As I said earlier, my dad filled this void with alcohol, with women. My mom, she filled it with men as she sought peace and security through relationships with men. When the relationship was good, she was good. When the man failed her, she was a mess. Church, there's an emptiness that we have in our soul. And it's there because we are created by God in His image and we are made to worship Him. We have a soul that cannot be satisfied unless Christ is at the heart of it. This is where we find true peace and joy. This is how God is most glorified. As John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Unfortunately, because of our sin, we replace God with false gods. Putting something else there in replace of Christ, what the Bible calls idolatry. And like the theologian John Calvin said in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, the heart, it's a perpetual factory of idols. 
It's like it's always making new idols. Because of our sinful nature, we take not just destructive things, but good things, and then we make them God things. Bible says in Romans 1, verse 25, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator. And that's what I did for years, for years. Church, remember the theme for the message that there's more than one way to be estranged, estranged from God, yet there is one way to be reconciled to God. Well, my first point, my first point of the message is that that flows out of this theme. The first way to live a life estranged from God is to be lost, a way to be lost is living a life of open rebellion. Church, this was me for a good part of my life. I, in open rebellion against God, I can relate to the younger brother in the parable. Honoring my parents or honoring God was the last thing on my mind. All the way from my childhood in, through my late twenties. That was my lifestyle. Open rebellion. I turned my back on my family. Disobeying them. Disgracing them. But most importantly, disobeying God. Turning my back on God. I ran from Him as far and as fast as I possibly could. With a heart, a hard heart and wicked intentions. The rebellious brother in our passage today took his inheritance and went into the world on a self-seeking mission. I took all of God's common graces that we have being born in a country like this where there's so much opportunity and threw it all away on drugs, on alcohol, and many other of Satan's ploys. My heart was like the younger brother in verse 12. It screamed out, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. It was all about me. So let me take you back to the beginning to show you how I live my life in open rebellion against God. I started abusing alcohol at 14 years old, which then led to chasing girls, drugs, and then a year after high school, I was introduced to heroin. My life fell apart very fast. I was so invested in my rebellion and self-centeredness that I actually believed that this was my purpose in life. To get high, to chase pretty girls, all for my glory and for my pleasure. I remember the first time I tried heroin, I felt like this was it. The alcohol did a job for me, the pretty girls filled my ego, my pride, but now I found peace. That was my thinking. Church, the reality is, these false gods, these things that we go to for counterfeit peace, they will work for a little while, but eventually, eventually, Our souls will crumble. The guilt, the shame will set in. I believe wholeheartedly from what I see in scriptures that this is God loving us even in our debauchery. This is God showing us that we are created for so much more. That guilt and that shame. I love how Dr. John MacArthur, he articulates this well in his book called Vanishing, The Vanishing Conscience. He says this, The conscience is a built-in warning system that signals us when something we have done is wrong. The conscience is to our souls what pain sensors do to our bodies. bodies. It inflicts distress in the form of guilt whenever we violate what our hearts tell us is right. So here I am, addicted to heroin and alcohol. I can't hold a job. I'm using people. 
manipulating my family to pay for my drugs and my alcohol. I'm miserable. I'm high, sometimes even having fun, but filled with shame and with guilt. Fast forward eight years later, eight long, miserable, dangerous years later, several rehabs in, and that's an understatement, several, and two separate one-month jail stints, one for assault and the other for criminal possession, and I was at my rock bottom. No money, no job, no place to stay. I couldn't stay with my mom because her landlord threatened to evict her and her boyfriend, and he didn't want me to to be there either. And my father wouldn't allow me to stay to watch me kill myself. So I basically was homeless, living with friends with no real purpose, no goals, no motivation to live. In a sense, I was like the younger brother in the parable. His desperation led him to a pig farm. And I know you guys that know the Bible know how radical this is. It says this in verses 14 and 16 of the text. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave them anything. Church, this is radical debauchery for a Jewish boy. Radical debauchery. In Leviticus 11.7, it states this, And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. No Jew would take this job willingly. The younger brother hit rock bottom here. And so did I. Church, what was equally dangerous about all of this that I, that I was going through at this time, very dangerous, is that I was actually so deceived that I thought that if I died, even from a heroin overdose, I would go to heaven. That's how deceived I was. <laughs> I actually thought if I died, I would go to heaven. I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian at this time. But I felt that I was a spiritual person. I prayed to this false God that I made in my imagination to suit myself. I didn't accept God's revelation through Scripture. I didn't worship God on His terms. I made a God in my own imagination. Friends, I plead with you today. Make sure that this God that you say you're worshiping lines up with the God of the Bible. The only true God. If your God's different from the God of Scripture, then you have been deceived. Just as I was. And many today are deceived like that. I had a God who pitied me. Who felt sorry for me. Who I felt understood that although I was selfish, self-centered, self-destructive, I was a good person inside. Church, as the writer J.D. Greer wrote, I had... My personal, my own personal Jesus. A Jesus that could not save. Friends, this is what sin does. It makes you see things in a twisted way, in an unbiblical way. And you believe them to be true. It's like the prophet Jeremiah says, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Or as Jesus' little brother James says in James 1.15, 
These desires give birth to sinful action, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Church, by God's grace and God's sovereign mercy, I was spared death. I was spiritually dead, indeed, but by God's providence, the drugs, that lifestyle did not kill me. I made it to a rehab facility in upstate New York. Here I am there, hopeless, deceived, depressed, and all of a sudden I'm ordered to go to a worship service, a worship celebration. An evangelical group came. They started singing songs of praise. They gave a gospel message. It was kind of watered down, actually, now that I look back. But that day I made a profession of faith. I said a prayer to make Jesus my Savior. Before you guys start praising God, unfortunately this wasn't the day that God saved me. He had more in store for me. This was a false conversion. This was 16 years ago. Remember, I was saved around seven and a half years ago, so I still had about nine years of walking in rebellion against God. But this time I did it as a somewhat moral person, a religious person, like the elder brother. This is where I talk about the elder brother, or the parable. This is my second point of the message. The first point was, the first point was there's one way to live a life estranged from God, and that's a life of open rebellion. And now my second point, the second way to live a life estranged from God is a life of religion. Church, remember, God wants our heart. He's interested in our motivation. He's interested in our affection. When he truly saves us, he changes our affections, our desires, our will, our heart. I was deceived again. Looking back now, I see that the prayer that I prayed, I only said that because I wanted things that God could give. I didn't want God. I didn't want Christ, not on his terms. I wasn't interested in him being Lord, being my master and my Lord like he is today, my king. My Savior was fine. Savior was fine, right? Rescue me, Jesus, so I can live a more comfortable, pleasurable life. See, I was still trying to fill that void that I talked about earlier, but this time it was religion that replaced it, not Christ. I used heroin one more time after that, and then a few months later, I moved to New York City to enter into a recovery program to help me get my life together. No more alcohol, no more heroin, but my new idol, my new created thing that I chose to place at the center of my heart to replace God was my self-righteousness, my pride. You can do a lot with pride. You can get clean, you can get sober with pride, but your heart won't change. You'll be miserable. You won't be free. Eventually, by God's sovereign hand, I got a job as a case manager at a supporting housing facility for homeless seniors. Oh, did this feed into my pride. All my colleagues had college degrees, and here I was, accepted for the position with nothing but accredited alcohol substance abuse training certificate. And of course, life experience, which they obviously valued. Yes, it was good that I got my life together, sort of speak. And I was helping others, but inside my heart, my heart was wicked, as wicked as ever. I was self-righteously trying to earn my favor, earn favor with God, to earn my salvation with my deeds and my works. A way to right my wrongs, if you will. Friends, this mentality 
is a false gospel. This is at the heart of what it means to be a legalist, to be rebellious, I mean to be religious, without being redeemed. Jesus has something to say about this way of life. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, 27 through 28, while speaking to these self-righteous religious people, he said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also appear outwardly righteous to all those, but within you are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, think about it, church. If we could save ourselves, then why did Jesus Christ go to the cross? Why did the eternal Son of God take on flesh and suffer such a humiliating death if we could be good enough to merit our salvation? I'll never forget the day where in the midst of the religious, this religious mindset that God placed something in my heart at my workplace. My coworker Lance and I were talking about God and I started boasting about how, how far I'd brought myself. Stuff like quitting heroin, alcohol, quitting smoking, and my improvement with my swearing, my lying. I literally made up a list of laws, list of rules that I had to follow, not to praise God, not to glorify God, but so I can feel better about myself. Here's what he said to me. Sean, you can keep trying to earn your way to heaven, but I need to tell you, you will never be good enough. He explained to me that Jesus is enough, and he came to save us because we can never, never save ourselves. To be honest, God didn't grant me the understanding of the gospel at that time, but I will say that he planted that seed through my now brother in Christ, Lance, that was planted for a bit later on. His timing to water that seed and give it increase had not come to pass yet. God had a divine decree, a powerful, sovereign plan for me, and his purpose was to glorify himself and exalt his son through me. And it wasn't until the appointed time that he would truly, truly take out that heart of stone that was dead to things of God and place in it a heart that can be molded by God, a heart that is made spiritually brand new. So what did God do? What did he do? He used my love for movies to bring me into a church where he placed one man in my life as a tool where the gospel would be presented to me. This is what he does. He comes into where we are. That's what God does. Where would I finally, where I would finally fall to my knees and bow to King Jesus? Church, the Bible says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Like I said earlier, I wasn't seeking God. I I was seeking all the things that God could give, but I didn't want to submit to the Lord of glory. I couldn't. I couldn't submit to Him. The Bible says in Romans 3, 10 through 11, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. That's why He has to seek us out. Church, we are children of wrath without Christ. 
In our flesh, we are haters of the one true God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's biblical. Biblical truth. Bold, but biblical. Haters of God in our own flesh. But this loving, this patient, this powerfully sovereign God chased me down and brought me to himself. So here's the context coming to that day where I became a brand new creation. A child of God. A follower of Jesus Christ. So this is what my life was like at that time. The time that God saved me. I was still sober. I had a decent job. I had an apartment. I was going to the Catholic church, trying to right all my wrongs, trying to work my way to salvation to God. I think it's important to clarify that, yes, my life changed. I've got to emphasize this. My life changed from the world's perspective. From my family's perspective, I was like the elder brother. I was close to home working for the Father, laboring to get what was coming to me. Like the elder brother in the parable, I had to prove my worth to the Father. I had to prove to God that I'm a good person now. I deserve to be blessed. But inside, I was still selfish and self, and just seeking self-pleasure. The only difference was I was using good things to make me feel like I was good before God. Church, are you getting this? Are you getting this? I was still lost. Turn my life around. Unbelievers say, oh, that's great. You turned your life around. I was still lost at a church. I basically went from self-loathing, which was my life as an alcoholic and addict, to self-exalting as a religious person. Church, I wonder, I wonder if, if there's anyone here today who's like this elder brother, laboring, laboring, working for the Father, saying all the right things, coming to church, saying all the right things to please the Father, but inside, deep down inside, no love for the Father. No pleasure in serving God. No desire to gather the lost sheep and bring them back into the fold. Remember the elder brother who typifies the religious person who is estranged from God. How did he react when his lost brother came home and the whole house threw a party for him? How did he react? He reacted like a religious person who was a stranger to grace. Notice verse 29b. It says, Look, these many years, this is from the elder brother's voice, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You see where his heart was? He was there the whole time, but he was just trying to get the things from the Father. He wasn't happy his brother came home. Like I said earlier, this elder brother was self-righteous, bitter, and extremely critical. And so was I. I wonder if there's someone here who can relate to this elder brother who's like this, who maybe even thinking, maybe even hearing about my sinful, drug-infused past was thinking in their head, I can't relate to this type of life. What a low life this guy was. (laughs) I thank you, God, that I've always been a good Christian, always obedient to you. You kidding me? How's this guy a leader at our church with a past like that? Do I have to remind you about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee prayed like this, Oh, thank you, God. 
I thank you so much that I'm not like these other people, these robbers, these evildoers, these adulterers. I fast twice a week. I give tenth of my uh, tithe. I give it to. I give a tenth of all I get. Do you guys remember what follows? The wretched tax collecting sinners' words before God. Here's what he said: The tax collecting sinner, have mercy on me, O God, for I am a sinner. Church, Jesus told the crowd after he presented this parable, he said, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus actually justified that sinner as opposed to the religious person in the scripture, in that passage. Church, religious moralism, or as the theologians call it, legalism, might appear better than the rebellious life. It might appear better. But in the end, both roads lead to damnation. Both of these roads lead away from Christ. Church, this parable and my testimony shows us that there are two main ways to be lost. That emptiness in our soul will not be satisfied. Will, will not be satisfied by seeking our, our sinful pleasures or living a mere moralistic self-righteous life. The holy God of Scripture will not be impressed with our religious duties. We need the gospel. We need the glorious gospel. We need Christ to be reconciled to God. And that is my third point. This is what the third point is going to be about. The first way to live a life estranged from God, we learned, is a life of open rebellion. The second point I just talked about, second way to live estranged from God, is a life of religion. Now the third and the final point of the message message is trusting in Christ alone. For salvation is the only way to be reconciled to God. Trusting in Christ alone for salvation is the only way to be reconciled to God. In this last point, you will see that although I walked on two roads that were leading me away from God, two paths that in the end, if I continued on them, would have led me to hell, God had a different plan. The sovereign Lord God who decrees the end from the beginning was to save me from rebellion and religion. Now, to how God brought me to a Bible study to save me. How the once rebellious and now religious lost was reconciled to God. I was on the subway going home from work one day and I saw a flyer that said, God on film. God on film. This really attracted me. A church where I could pretend to worship God and enjoy movies? Are you kidding me? I was all in. Little did I know that God had a different plan to bring me to true repentance and faith and take me out of the world and bring me into his kingdom. So I went to this non-denominational church and I started attending regularly. Mind you again, I had no idea what it meant to be truly born again. Truly saved. I didn't understand what Jesus meant when he told Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. I was still like those Pharisees that I mentioned earlier. I was clean on the outside, but on the inside there was no real relationship with God. When I pray, when I did pray, which wasn't often, but when I did, all my prayers were centered on myself. I had no hunger to submit to God's Word. 
But again, I loved, loved my religion. I loved that I belonged to this church, that I was now in the midst of a Christian community. But church, there's a question that has to be answered. There is a question that has to be answered. Why was I so miserable when I got home? Why was I no longer sinning in the open, but had no problem doing it behind closed doors? Why was I judging everyone? Feeling like I was either better than them or worse than them. And that's what happens when you're a legalist. You do the things, the list, you, you get a list to do, you follow that, now you're better than everybody. When you fail to follow it, now you're loathing. You're worse than everybody. We should have our identity in Christ as Christians, not in our what we do. Why did my life look different on the outside, but it looked different. Everybody thought things were going good. Look at he turned his life around. But my desires and my affections, I keep on going to that because that's so important. The desires, the affection, my heart was the same. Somebody can get clean and sober from their pride, but I can guarantee you they can't wait. They're still the same inside. They're not free unless they have Christ. Why did I have no love for God's Word? No desire to evangelize. No desire to evangelize. If you understand the Gospel and you're not evangelizing, there's something wrong. You might have to look and see if you uh, even understand the Gospel. There's been a heart change. There are people dying, going to hell, and I wasn't sharing the Gospel. Because I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. I didn't love it. Well, I found out in the fall of 2011, I found out what the problem was. It didn't take long after I was truly, truly saved, brought to Jesus for forgiveness of my sins, that I understood that even when I was part of the gospel-centered church, I was still lost. But not for long. The day God saved me arrived. In the fall of 2011, I was at a Bible study led by one of the church leaders who is now one of my best friends, one of my brothers in Christ. It was in my wedding, actually. He explained the gospel to me this way. This is the gospel. Here's what he said to me. Glorious message. I heard this. That God the Father sent his son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man and without sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life that none of us could live. Then he voluntarily went to the cross suffering and dying a horrific, bloody death that he did not deserve to take upon the punishment that you and I rightly deserve. Then three days later, he rose again and forever defeated sin, defeated death, and he rose again. He rose from the grave. But that wasn't it. The response was also shared to me. God commands us to respond in repentance. Not only change our mind, but Jesus calls repent. The Bible says repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction. I was told that I needed to turn from my sin and by faith alone to turn to Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Oh, what a powerful gospel this is, church. Church, here's another thing that is what is truly amazing about God. This wasn't the first time I heard the gospel, but it was the first time I heard the gospel. Did you get that? 
Friends, what I mean is the gospel went to my ears, but they never went to my heart. Not in the rehab, not before. They never went to my heart. They just hit the ears. I had this uh, cheap grace perspective of the gospel. Well, looking back, I can tell you that the gospel never entered my heart that then, and I didn't truly understand that Jesus did it all. I didn't understand that he did it all, that it's finished. That his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient. That word's important. That's what separates us from the Catholic Church. The cross is sufficient. Sufficient for my salvation. I didn't repent either. That day I had a false conversion. I didn't hate my sin because it was offense against God. I just hated the consequences. Looking back, it's like I felt Jesus was just a model for me to follow. Not my Savior and Lord. Church, this was the day that I was truly born again here. In the fall of 2011, God took out that heart of stone and gave me a new heart of flesh. I went from being a a spiritually dead person to spiritually alive. I turned from my sin of self-righteousness and threw myself at the mercy of Christ. All those seeds that were planted in the past came to fruition. For the first time, I understood that my sin wasn't wrong. My drug addiction in the past wasn't wrong. My womanizing wasn't wrong. My gambling and lying wasn't wrong merely because it hurt people or led to bad consequences. But the main reason it was wrong, the main reason why it was a sin, because it was a a sin against the holy, almighty God. I was guilty of cosmic treason, giving God the high hand, pretty much. But that night, I truly repented and found Jesus to be a perfect, a perfect Savior. Not someone who might be able to save me if I continue to do the right thing, but a Savior who said on the cross, it is finished. I went home that night and fell to my couch in tears and cried out to the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10.13, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord. The Gentiles, the Pharisees, the rebellious, the, the legalists, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can tell you, friends, that I know I know what the Apostle Paul meant in Romans 5.1 when he said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory. I was in awe of the fact that all my sins were forgiven. That Jesus came to live the life I failed to live and die the death that I deserved. That through faith alone I was declared righteous in His sight. I couldn't believe that I didn't have to work hard anymore to hope, maybe hope that God would forgive me and let me into His presence someday. Church, I can relate to those verses where the younger brother finally came home in the passage. And and notice uh, in verses 20-24 through in the text, I'm going to read it. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still long off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. They begin to celebrate. One commentator states, while referring to this portion of the passage, states this, none of the four things brought to the repentant prodigal were necessities. They were all meant to honor the son and make him know that he was loved. The father did much more than merely meet the son's needs. Church, when we repent and throw ourselves at the mercy of God through Christ alone, we become his children. We are heirs to the throne. Ephesians 8 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Church, the parable before us doesn't tell us if the elder brother repented, but what we do know from verse 31 is that the father was patient. Even with him, he was patient and forgiving. The verse states, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Church, God is a sovereign, loving God. That's the title of the sermon, actually. The sovereign love of God. He is holy, and he's just as well. But because of the gospel, there is hope for anyone who finds Christ to be their ultimate treasure. As I mentioned earlier, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Not satisfied in lust and pleasures of the world. Not satisfied in religious moralism, but satisfied in him. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Wow. Church, my testimony doesn't stop at conversion. None of ours does. God saves his people for a purpose, and it isn't just to go to heaven. He saves us to be a light unto the world, to make the name of Jesus Christ great through furthering his kingdom. When you are united to Christ by faith and the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you, you will want to grow in holiness and want to please God. Not to be saved, but because you already are saved. A new creation in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. It says the great reformer Martin Luther once said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Friends, it took me some time through my study as a Christian to realize that there are over 4,000 religions in the world and they all say, if you do things for God, maybe he will accept you. But the gospel says God will accept you by grace, by trusting in His Son's finished work on the cross. I love how theologian Timothy Keller puts it. He says this, Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The Gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. So here I am in the fall of 2011, a follower of Jesus, finally understanding that I have a purpose in my life, and it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I have a King And his name is Jesus. And I'm on fire to serve him and serve others. I couldn't wait to tell others about this Savior. 
I couldn't wait to tell all my religious friends and my Catholic family members that the Bible says in the Gospel of John, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I couldn't wait to proclaim from the rooftops Romans 3.28. We maintain that we are declared righteous before God by faith, not by works of the law. This gospel of grace set me on fire. And I'll tell you, church, that fire hasn't let up. How could it? How could it? This is, this gospel is so glorious. The almighty, all-powerful, holy, and just God saves wretched rebels like us. Our Heavenly Father is so patient, so, so, so forgiven. Forget forgiving. He's so merciful, so gracious. His Son, the exalted King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, needs to be praised. I love how John Piper explains our mission as Christians. This is our mission. He writes this, God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that make Him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that He really is. This is what it means to be created in the image of God. That's powerful. And so true. Friends, I think it's important to testify that although I fall short every day, like all of us, I am far away from looking like Jesus. God has brought me a long way. His sanctifying grace continues to be poured out in me. I look at my life now and I understand that it is only by God's sovereign love that I am here. I like to share some of the fruit of this glorious salvation that God has given me. I'll try not to drop too many tears. God is so powerful. You heard my past, right? Now look what God's done. Serving as an elder of the church here at NBC, leading Bible study, Sunday school for the teens, preaching the gospel on the streets, expositing sermons on occasion here and once a month at the Norwegian Christian home, another testimony of God's amazing graces. I barely passed high school. I never had a desire to read or learn. I read one book in high school, The Great Gatsby. Don't ask me why it was The Great Gatsby, but that's the only book I read. But I'll tell you, since God saved me, I haven't been able to put the books down. I can't stop reading books now. I'm, I'm even coming close to my bachelor's in theological and biblical studies. I have about a year left in school to graduate. I once told a family member, I'll give you proof God exists and is working today. My college graduation day will suffice. That will be proof that God is powerful. I know that my newfound affection to know God more through studying His Word in theological books glorifies God because it shows that He doesn't just make religious people. He doesn't just make religious people. He makes lovers of God Lovers of truth, lovers of his church, lovers of his body, lovers of the kingdom. I'm also currently in a mentorship program with Pastor Chris, and as I train and learn to become a, a pastor someday myself. In my family life, are you, are you kidding me? Who would ever thought that I'd be married to such a beautiful, godly, humble woman? Most of you guys know my wife, Amy. She's probably the one blushing in the back. 
<laughs> God is amazing. We're on a mission for God together. And we even have a son on the way. Little Jeremiah is in the womb. God is so good and so powerful. But again, this is important. All these things, they're worth nothing in the end if Christ is not at the center of them. He is the one who puts them in the right place that gives them purpose. Remember the theme from the message that there is more than one way to be lost, to be estranged from God. We learn that living in open rebellion is one way. We're reminded that living as a religious person is another way. Yet we praise God to know that there is a way to be reconciled to God. And that's through Jesus Christ. He is where we find our ultimate treasure. Remember the quote from Blaise Pascal that I said earlier? There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. Well, I'm here to testify that Christ fills it. Only He can fully satisfy us and make us whole. I plead with you, church. I plead with you. I beg you. If your trajectory is on either of these traps, to run home. Run home to God broken and empty. Run home to Him empty-handed as the younger brother did. Throw yourself at the mercy of Christ and you will be restored. I want to close by reading a, a portion of this fairly unknown, beautiful hymn that I found called Satisfied. I think it brings this message to a, an encouraging close. It says this, All my life long, I had panted for a drought, drought for some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah! I have found Him whom my soul long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through His life, I am now saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before You now, Lord. I just want to thank You so much, God, for your saving, sovereign, powerful love. God, we just pray, Lord, that you will work today in this room, Lord, that people will walk out of here today more, more in love with Jesus Christ, Lord. And for those who are apart from you or enemies of yours, change them like you did with me, God. Change them like you did with so many others here today, God. We love you, God. We praise you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.